The war in Gaza continues, and thousands of Palestinian children have been killed in brutal Israeli bombing. The vast majority of countries on earth have called for a ceasefire to bring about peace, and top officials at the United Nations have also publicly called for a ceasefire. However, one country is standing in the way and preventing peace. The United States has used its veto power in the UN Security Council three times in less than two months in order to prevent a ceasefire from being implemented in Gaza. On the 8th of December, we saw the third example of this, and I'm reading here from the United Nations News, quote, United States vetoes Security Council draft resolution that would have demanded an immediate humanitarian ceasefire in Gaza and immediate and unconditional release of all hostages. The UN Security Council has 15 members. 13 of those members voted in support of the resolution calling for a ceasefire. One member, the UK, abstained, and one country voted against the resolution, the United States. However, because the U.S. is one of the five permanent members of the U.N. Security Council, that gives it veto power, and that means that the resolution did not pass, despite the fact that the vast majority of countries supported it. Not only the 13 members that voted in support in the Security Council, but furthermore, the resolution had the support of more than 90 members of the United Nations, and it was supported by the Secretary General of the United Nations, Antonio Guterres. He had called for a ceasefire, and he actually used Article 99, which is an emergency measure. This was the first time this measure was used in more than 50 years. And yet the United States unilaterally sabotaged this attempt to bring about peace in Gaza. This shows how the United Nations system is completely paralyzed. It cannot accomplish anything because the U.S. government prevents the U.N. from actually supporting peace or accomplishing anything of value in the world. It was the U.S. who helped to design the United Nations after World War II and put in this veto power for the five permanent members, which means that nothing tangible can actually happen unless Washington approves of it because all of the power of the United Nations is concentrated in the Security Council. I did a separate video and article about this that I will link to in the description below in which I looked at two previous UN Security Council votes from back in October that the US also vetoed. On the 18th of October, there was a very similar resolution that had been introduced by Brazil that called for humanitarian pauses to deliver life-saving aid to millions of civilians in Gaza. In that case, it was 12 countries that voted in support, and it was the U.S. that vetoed and sabotaged the proposal. In that case, the U.K., which is a loyal running dog of the United States, the UK also abstained, but one other country in that case had abstained, which is Russia. Now, Moscow did not abstain because it opposed peace. On the contrary, Russia had abstained in protest because two days before, on the 16th of October, there was a similar vote in the UN Security Council on a resolution that had been proposed by Russia 
And that resolution called for an immediate humanitarian ceasefire. And in that case, it wasn't only the United States, it was all of the colonial powers, the US, the UK, Japan, and France. The imperial powers that colonized majority of the world, they had voted against that resolution, although the resolution had the support of China, Gabon, Mozambique, and the UAE, in addition to Russia. So that was the 16th of October, the second resolution on the 18th of October had been introduced by Brazil, and that had the majority of support. And then finally, you had this third vote concerning a Gaza-related resolution in the UN Security Council. And this resolution had been introduced by the United Arab Emirates. And you can see that in this case, the number of countries calling for an immediate humanitarian ceasefire actually increased. Some of the countries that had abstained or even voted against the previous resolutions are now supporting it, including Japan, the UK, and France. They are supporting this call for a ceasefire. The only country that opposes it is the United States. And then, of course, its running dog, Britain, abstained. Now, I should clarify that these votes were separate from the vote in the UN General Assembly. The General Assembly is the most democratic body in the UN. It's where every single country has a voice in the votes. There are 193 member states in the United Nations. And back on the 27th of October, there was a vote in the General Assembly calling for a humanitarian truce in Gaza. And in that case, the vast majority of countries on Earth, 121 countries, voted in support of the humanitarian truce. 44 countries abstained. There was an error in the original UN graphic. And 14 countries voted against the resolution. And in that case, it was the United States and a few allies. But again, 14 countries opposed the humanitarian truce resolution and 121 countries supported it. The vast majority of the world wants peace in Gaza and it's really the West, mostly the United States, but in general, the West against the rest of the world. The vast majority of Asia, Africa, and Latin America, they do want peace. It's Washington that is fueling this war. And what this shows is that the United Nations system is completely broken. And in many ways, you can say it's not really even broken. It was designed this way to never actually be truly democratic. It's not a coincidence that the institution in the UN, the organ that is the most democratic, the General Assembly, has the least power. And GA votes are largely symbolic, whereas the institution that has the most power, the Security Council, is the least democratic. That's because the United States and the colonial powers designed the United Nations in this way after World War II, in which the US, France, and the UK have permanent seats. This is despite the fact that France and the UK each have a population of fewer than 70 million people. However, massive countries like India and Pakistan and Bangladesh and Nigeria and Brazil and Indonesia that have, in the case of India, more than 1 billion people, in the case of those other countries, hundreds of millions of people, they don't have permanent seats on the Security Council. 
So this system was designed in a way that, yes, the victors of World War II included China and the former Soviet Union, now Russia, and they do have permanent seats, but it also gave three of the five permanent seats to the Western colonial powers. And we should never forget that when the UN system was designed, still much of the world was colonized by the Western powers, including by the UK and France. And those countries were eventually given voices in the General Assembly as they had their national liberation struggles and decolonization, but their voices in the General Assembly are not nearly as powerful as the voices in the Security Council. And that's why the U.S. can prevent international law from being implemented. The U.S. is holding the world hostage and protecting Israel as Israel is carrying out war crimes and crimes against humanity. In November, Experts at the United Nations published a public statement warning that the people of Gaza, the Palestinian people, are at risk of genocide. The top UN experts warned that Israeli government officials have been making extremely violent comments that essentially call for the elimination of the people of Gaza, referring to them as animals. And the UN experts say, say that this, quote, points to a genocide in the making. And Israeli officials have shown evidence of increasing genocidal incitement, loudly calling for a second Nakba, referring to the ethnic cleansing of Palestinians that happened in 1948 that created the state of Israel. And the top UN officials warned not only of a risk of genocide, but they say that there has been a failure of the international system to mobilize to prevent that genocide, pointing out that 41% of the Palestinians killed by Israel have been children and 25% have been women. And a child is killed every 10 minutes and two other children in Gaza are injured every 10 minutes. And the Secretary General, the Chief of the UN, Antonio Guterres, he has referred to Gaza as, quote, a graveyard for children. And yet, the UN is helpless and can't do anything to stop this genocide that they admit is a genocide because the United States is preventing them from doing anything. So you have to ask yourself, if the UN was created after World War II supposedly to stop another kind of war like World War II, another genocide. And right now it is it is completely structurally incapable of stopping a genocide. What is the point of the UN? The UN is not actually multilateral as it claims to be if one country can sabotage everything, the United States. So what we see here is the perfect reflection of the problem with the neo-colonial structure of the world I hear a geopolitical economy report, I talk a lot about the neocolonial economic structure with my reports on debt and global south countries that are fundamentally trapped in unpayable debt owed to the wealthy colonizing countries in the global north. Well, here we see a very similar example of the colonial political structures that actually prevent human rights from being protected, and yet the United States talks about human rights and democracy. As of the 7th of December, more than 17,000 Palestinians had been killed in Gaza. That is in exactly two months of Israeli bombing. 17,000 Palestinians killed and more than 46,000 Palestinians injured. According to the mainstream British newspaper, The Financial Times, Gaza is now 
one of the regions of the world that has been more heavily bombed than any other. I'm reading here from the Financial Times. The damage wrought by Israel's attack has been catastrophic. Military analysts say the destruction of northern Gaza in less than seven weeks has approached that caused by the years-long carpet bombing of German cities during the Second World War. Some of the world's heaviest ever bombings are remembered by their name, according to Robert Pape, a U.S. military historian. And he said, quote, Gaza will also go down as a place name denoting one of history's heaviest conventional bombing campaigns. According to the Financial Times, whole neighborhoods have been leveled in Gaza. More than 60% of the buildings in North Gaza have been seriously damaged as of December 4th. Between 82,000 and 105,000 buildings have been left in ruins. And what this means is that the vast majority of Palestinians in Gaza, the vast majority of the more than 2 million civilians trapped in Gaza are homeless. They have nowhere to go. Not only have many of their family members been killed, but even the ones who are surviving are homeless and they are under a brutal genocidal siege. And Israel has said very clearly, it does not want any water or food or electricity to go into Gaza. Meanwhile, the United States is sending more and more weapons to Israel to help it carry out these war crimes. The Wall Street Journal has reported that the U.S. is giving Israel large bunker buster bombs, which weigh 2,000 pounds, and the U.S. has also been sending tens of thousands of weapons and artillery shells worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And since October, in two months, the U.S. has sent Israel 15,000 bombs and 57,000 artillery shells. And that's not all. Reuters, the mainstream media outlet, reported that the Biden administration has asked Congress to approve the sale of 45,000 shells for Israel's tanks to use in Gaza. And this journalist at Reuters pointed out that Israel has been using its tanks to kill journalists, not only journalists in Gaza, but also journalists in Lebanon. And I'm reading here from Reuters. A Reuters investigation revealed that an Israeli tank crew killed Reuters journalist Issam Abdullah and wounded six reporters by firing two shells in quick succession from Israel while the journalists were filming cross-border shelling in Lebanon. So Israel is using U.S. tank munitions to kill journalists and the U.S. response is we're going to send even more. Meanwhile, we have seen comments from U.S. government officials that are completely sociopathic. In fact, the White House's top national security official, the national security spokesman, John Kirby, he said, quote, name me one nation that is doing more to alleviate the pain and suffering of people in Gaza than the United States. It's, of course, completely surreal to see Washington claim this because it's the exact opposite. The United States is doing more than any other country on earth to prevent peace and support Israel as it's carrying out massacres of Palestinian civilians, sending tens of thousands of weapons and ammunition and continuing to increase those weapon shipments to Israel to help it kill civilians in Gaza while simultaneously vetoing any resolution in the Security Council that calls for 
a truce or a ceasefire or simply pauses. And this brings me back to the original point of this report today, which is how the U.S. has been repeatedly vetoing calls for peace in the Security Council. Briefly, before I conclude here, I want to look at a few statements from United Nations officials and websites. I'm reading here from the UN News website in a report titled U.S. Vetoes Resolution on Gaza, which called for immediate humanitarian ceasefire. And it noted that the U.S. vetoed a resolution that was put forward by the United Arab Emirates and backed by over 90 member states. And the U.N. chief, Secretary General Antonio Guterres, he issued a stark warning that, quote, the conditions for the effective delivery of humanitarian aid no longer exist in Gaza. He said the eyes of the world and the eyes of history are watching calling to do, for the international community to do everything possible to end this slaughter. And he this report also pointed out that this resolution was based on Guterres, the Secretary General's invocation of Article 99. What is this? Article 99 is part of the United Nations Charter, and it gives the Secretary General the ability to, quote, bring to the attention of the Security Council any matter which, in his opinion, may threaten the maintenance of international peace and security. This was an extraordinary measure because, as the Associated Press reported, quote, Article 99 is extremely rarely used. The last time it was invoked was during fighting in 1971, so over 50 years ago, that led to the creation of Bangladesh and its separation from Pakistan. I should point out, this was also a genocide. With U.S. support, Pakistan was committing genocide against what the people, the, the Bengali people of what had previously been East Pakistan, as they engaged in a national liberation struggle to create their own country. And with U.S. support, and the support, for instance, of Henry Kissinger, the war criminal who just died, the U.S. was supporting Pakistan as a committed genocide. And in 1971, the U.N. Secretary General used Article 99 to call for peace. So today, we see a similar situation where Israel is committing genocide and, and the Secretary General called for peace by invoking Article 99. And then the Security Council responded and the U.S. vetoed the resolution preventing peace and encouraging the genocide as it had done in the 1970s. And the Soviet Union, by the way, had been supporting the Bengali national liberation struggle against Pakistani genocide. And also India at that time had been supporting the Bengali national liberation struggle. So there are many historical echoes of the U.S. opposing peace and supporting genocide, whereas other countries like Russia and like China, have been supporting calls for peace. Now, in this report in the Associated Press, it noted that the Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, he warned that Gaza is at risk of, quote, complete collapse of the territory's humanitarian system and civil order. However, the AP pointed out that the U.S. has veto power, and they said that it was very likely that a resolution would not be passed. So everyone could see that this was going to happen and it is exactly what happened. I'm going to read here briefly from another UN News report, 
which is titled Gaza Guterres Invokes Most Powerful Tool, Article 99, in Bid for Humanitarian Ceasefire. This was from the 6th of December, so two days before the third vote in the Security Council that the U.S. vetoed. The spokesman for the United Nations referred to this as a, quote, dramatic constitutional move and and referred to it as the, quote, most powerful tool that the secretary general has. And Guterres referred to Israel's brutal bombing of Gaza as, quote, creating appalling human suffering, physical destruction and collective trauma across he says Israel and the occupied Palestinian territory. Now, Guterres is a politician from Portugal, and he has often been criticized by countries in the global south of being very biased in the interests of the West. I think it's a very accurate description. He, on many issues, has shown himself to be extremely biased against the global south. And many people in the global south have seen him as a very ineffective leader. And it's not simply the United States that is sabotaging the UN. It's many of the top officials who are overwhelmingly from Western countries and are very biased and are trying to prevent the UN from actually becoming more democratic and giving more of a voice to the majority of the global population, which lives in the global south. The West only represents around 13% of the world population, and yet they dominate all of these so-called multilateral institutions, including the United Nations. So here, once again, we see the fundamental failure of these institutions. After two months of a blatant Israeli genocide being carried out in Palestine, finally, the Secretary General has been speaking out, but even then, his statements are all very weak. They're always qualified by trying to both sides, as if Israel and the occupied Palestinian territories are equally suffering while Israel is carrying out genocide. It, once again, as I stressed earlier, it shows that these institutions are fundamentally, I mean, incapable structurally of solving the political and economic problems in the world, and they need to be fundamentally changed if we actually truly want a global democratic order and not a neo-colonial order controlled by the Western powers in which the United States can use its veto power to sabotage any attempt around the world to actually protect human rights and democracy and to bring about peace. The UN news report that I cited earlier included some quotes from the Palestinian ambassador. Now, Palestine is not officially a member state of the UN, but it's an observer state. And in this meeting of the UN Security Council, Palestine had a permanent representative, Riyad Mansour. And he said, quote, it was beyond regrettable and disastrous that the Security Council was prevented from upholding its responsibilities in the face of the crisis. And he said, quote, millions of Palestinian lives hang in the balance. Every single one of them is sacred and worth saving. He said that if the Security Council cannot follow its mandate and make a clear call after two months of massacres and atrocities, quote, the war criminals are given more time to perpetrate their crimes. He said, quote, how can this be justified? How can anyone justify the slaughter of an entire people? And that's a good question because the U.S. is trying to justify it. 
Washington claims its adversaries are so-called rogue states, but it's actually the U.S. is a rogue state. We can see this from the comments by China's ambassador to the U.N., Zhang Jun. He said, only a ceasefire is befitting the appropriate role of the council. And the Chinese permanent representative said, quote, the task required of the council is very clear and definitive. Act immediately achieve a ceasefire, protect civilians, and avoid a human catastrophe on a larger scale. It wasn't just China calling for peace, Russia also called for peace. Russia's permanent representative to the UN said US diplomacy was, quote, leaving scorched earth in its wake. And he said that by blocking the ceasefire proposal, he said of the US, quote, how could the country look its partners in the eye? And this is the question we should be asking. How is one country able to hold the entire world hostage and support a genocide and stop peace? That's the question we should all be asking. The entire world should be outraged. And not only should there be a global drive for a ceasefire to bring about peace in Palestine, but in an end to Israel's illegal decades-long occupation of Palestinian territories, an end to its genocidal settler colonialist policies. But furthermore, this moment, more than any other, should inspire people all around the world to call for a complete fundamental transformation of these international institutions like the United Nations, because if they cannot stop a genocide, they are completely useless. If one country can use them to sabotage the entire world and hold the world hostage, they are useless. On that note, I'm going to conclude. I'm Ben Norton. I want to thank everyone for joining me today. Please like and subscribe to this channel on YouTube, like the video, and if, you're, if you prefer listening to these videos as a podcast, check out the Geopolitical Economy Report podcast. Everything is available as both a video and an audio-only version. So thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.